Way back in 1971, Coca-Cola released a very famous advert where they got all the people all over the world to sing together. But I think we can understand why it was such a a powerful advert. Because it's a really beautiful idea that something could bring everybody together in this world from all the different countries and cultures and teach them to live in perfect love and harmony. It's a beautiful idea. But those of us who are cynical, like Tommy, would point out that it's a bit ridiculous to suggest that an addictive sugary drink like Coke could ever achieve that. But maybe we could imagine that Jesus could achieve this. Maybe the power of his love and the transformation that he produces might just unite this world in love and harmony. But we'd be wrong. Because Jesus didn't come with the hope that he would teach us all how to live in love and harmony. Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 51, Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No. I, I have come to divide people against each other. Jesus didn't come to bring unity, but division. And we can see what that looks like in the second half of John chapter 7. As he divided opinions of the people at the Feast of Tabernacles. So we're going to read this passage. It's quite a a long reading, but just bear with me as we read through it. And then we're just going to pick out some of the principles that we can see in it. So it's John chapter 7 and verse 25. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is, speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Still many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, when the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you only, with you for only a short time. And then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go to where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me but you will not find me and where I am you cannot come? 
on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. Still others asked, How can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he has deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted. Has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Nicodemus who had gone to Judea to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number asked does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he is doing they replied are you from Galilee too look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee (coughs) so last weekend last weekend we saw that the Feast of the Tabernacles was one of the most important feasts in the Jewish calendar. It celebrated both God's provision in providing the harvest that had just been gathered in, as well as God's provision over the 40 years that the nation was wandering around the desert after the exodus out of Egypt. And although Jesus didn't go to the feast when his brothers thought he should, he did go up later, and taught in the temple courts. But this teaching divided the opinions of those people who were there. As we read in verse 43, the people were divided because of Jesus. And in this passage, I think we see three basic groups of people. Three different responses to Jesus. Firstly, some people just remained confused about him. They struggled to make up their mind about Jesus because to them some things just didn't match up. One of them was what the authorities were doing. They thought that the religious leaders were against Jesus and that they wanted to kill him. And yet, here he was, preaching in the temple. So, had they changed their mind about him? Here he is, verse 26, speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? These people were confused because they wanted to follow the, the, kind of the, the, the leading of the religious people, or the religious leaders, and yet they weren't really sure where they were at. And I think we all like to see ourselves as independently minded, as people who think for ourselves, who, who don't just go with the flow. But the reality is, all of us are susceptible to the influence of others, aren't we? 
We're all influenced by those around us. That's why fashions come and go. Because we, we follow that to some extent. That's why cultures shift over time from a, a worldview to a different worldview. That's why these days there are people who are actually paid to be social, social media influencers. Who just go on Twitter and, and YouTube and, and just influence people to buy a product or to, or to think a certain way. And they're paid for that. Doesn't seem much of a job to most of us, but they are actually paid for that. So if we are open to that influence from others, we need to be careful who we allow to influence us. So Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good character. So we need to be careful who we allow to speak into our lives. Because if we're not, then we will be led in a certain direction, even if we don't want to be. But these people weren't just confused by what other people were doing. They were also confused because of where Jesus was from. Jesus didn't fit in with what they thought they knew about the Messiah. So some of them had this idea that when the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. In some way the Messiah will just appear out the blue, without warning, and without anybody knowing his background. But this was a problem when it came to Jesus. Because as they said, we know where this man is from. After all, he's called Jesus of Nazareth. Others were confused because they knew that the scripture said that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem. The town where, where David lived. There are those Old Testament prophecies that, that speak about that the Christ would come from Bethlehem. But again, this was a problem for these people. Because they didn't know that Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem. And it seems that they didn't even bother to find out where he was born. So they thought Jesus was from Nazareth and so asked, how can the Christ come from Galilee? There's probably a little bit of prejudice here as well. You know, Galilee is way up in the north, you know, you know what the people up in the north are like. Uh, and compared to, to the, the people in Jerusalem, the sophisticated, the cultured people in the capital. So these people were all confused because Jesus didn't fit in with their ideas or with what they thought they knew about him. And this often happens, doesn't it? People are often confused because God works in ways that don't match our ideas. Or our thoughts. Have you ever heard people say, Oh, I couldn't believe in a God who would do that. I, I don't think God would ever do that. I don't think God would ever send people to hell. I don't think God would ever say that that's wrong. I don't, because what they want is a God, not that they, they submit to, but a God who fits into their ideas. But Isaiah 55 reminds us, that the Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. God doesn't do things the way we think he should. His ways are higher and better and greater. But people weren't just confused because of where Jesus was from. They were also confused about where he was going. Yeah, look at verse 33. 
Jesus said, I'm with you only for a short time. And then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Now the people were just baffled by this. They really just didn't get what Jesus was talking about at all. Verse 35, the people asked, Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? They thought he was talking about going to the diaspora, the people who had moved out from Israel and moved into the other nations and were living separated from them. And of course, this would be the mission of the disciples of Jesus. Jesus would send them out into the world to to reach those people who were not Jews. But this isn't what Jesus was talking about here. Instead, Jesus was talking about here, of course, his ascension into heaven. Where I go, you cannot come. Their, Their confusion was because, in their mind, they were simply focused on earthly things. Where Jesus was talking about heavenly things here. <coughs> and they aren't the only ones who get this wrong. Remember when Pilate interrogated Jesus about being a king? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. Pilate, he didn't understand that Jesus hadn't come to establish an earthly kingdom of peace and prosperity and power. Instead, he'd come to build a heavenly one of an eternal life, of relationship with God. So Pilate was confused about how this man was a king and yet he didn't have his people fighting for him. People still make that mistake today, don't they? They think that Jesus should be building a kingdom here. That this should be heaven with all of the blessings of what Jesus won for us on the cross experienced here in terms of peace and prosperity and power. But if we want to really follow Jesus, we need to, as Paul said, set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. Jesus has come for an earth, for a heavenly kingdom. And he's called us to live as citizens of heaven. And one day he's coming back for us to take us to be with him in heaven. That's what Christianity is about. Then there were one other reason why some people remain confused about Jesus. Verse 32. The chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. But after listening to what Jesus said, these temple guards went back without him. They didn't arrest Jesus. Now, of course, God was in control of all this. That's what we saw last week, didn't we? That that God was in control of the timing of Jesus' mission. So, it says in verse 30 that his time had not yet come. It wasn't the time for Jesus to be arrested yet. It wasn't the time for him to go to the cross yet. But the reason why these men didn't arrest Jesus, didn't just grab Jesus and and, and, and yank him off to the, the Pharisees, was that they were so impressed by what Jesus said. No one ever spoke the way this man does. No one ever spoke the way this man does. 
That was a, that was a common response to what Jesus said. Jesus didn't speak like the scribes or the Pharisees of, the, of, of his day. Because they were just always quoting some other rabbi or some other person and trying to uh, uh, teach people what other people said. So they were just infallible teach or fallible teachers teaching other what other fallible people said. But Jesus spoke differently. He spoke with authority. He spoke with power. He spoke with knowledge, with understanding, with love, with compassion. And that confuses people still today. Lots of people would love just to dismiss Jesus as a fool or as a fictional character. And yet their confusion is because they're deeply impressed by Jesus' words. The Sermon on the Mount is still something that people respond to. And so many of the the common sayings of wisdom that we have today come from Jesus. Let's just take one day at a time. Jesus said that. And there's so many others. I've I've heard lots and lots of people say a a good little saying, a good little kind of principle how how to live the life. And it comes from the teaching of Jesus. So people are impressed with his words and yet they don't really want to submit to him as Lord. They don't want to accept that he is the Son of God. So what do you do with someone who you reject their claims to be God and yet they also speak such words of love and wisdom? So people remain confused about Jesus. So some people couldn't make up their minds about Jesus. They were confused. But there were others in that crowd that were absolutely sure how they should respond to Jesus. They had no doubt that Jesus should be rejected. One of the reasons why the Pharisees and the chief priests did this was because Jesus challenged their knowledge of God. These religious leaders prided themselves in the fact that they thought they knew God. And they were in relationship with God. So do you notice in verse 48-49, when these temple guards came back without Jesus, the, the, the Pharisees rebuked the temple guards and they said this, Has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. These people were standing and they were just ridiculing the crowd as ignorant people, as people who didn't know the law, who didn't know God's way and who were cursed because they didn't keep the law. And they arrogantly saw themselves as better than all of them. Because they they believed that they knew the law, they knew God's way, and they obeyed the law. So basically they were saying, oh well, there's the rabble. They're the ones who listen to Jesus because they don't know any better. But us educated people, us clever people, us godly people, we are the ones who know the the word of God. We know the law. We keep the law. And we know that Jesus is a fraud. So they were arrogant and proud about what they knew or what they thought they knew. 
But did you see how Jesus dared to dispute this? He said that the reason why those people were not willing to accept him was because they didn't know God. So verse 28, Jesus said, You do not know him, you do not know God, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. Understand how that would challenge these Pharisees and and religious leaders? Jesus here was claiming a unique and exclusive knowledge of God and relationship with God that they had no understanding of. I think that claim is probably one of the most offensive claims that Jesus makes to the people of today. Lots of people will accept Jesus as one of many teachers as a kind of guru a kind of spiritual man who can help us in our way in our life but if we dare to say that he is the one who, who the only one who knows God the only one who can teach us who God is that's where people have huge problems that's where you'll get the rejection and the refusal but Jesus didn't only challenge their knowledge of God he also challenged their position If Jesus was telling the truth, if Jesus really was the Messiah, then all of the Pharisees who were rejecting him were outside of God's kingdom. And they were actually going to lose all of their power and all of their position and all of their prestige. And so when people started to express faith in Jesus, the Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him and they decided they couldn't wait any longer. He was too much of a threat to their position and their influence and their status. He had to be arrested. He had to get, be gotten rid of. Because Jesus was a threat to them. And even when Nicodemus, who was one of their number, remember we read about him in John chapter 3, he questioned the correctness of condemning someone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing, they just completely refused to listen. They didn't want to accept the possibility that Jesus could be the Messiah because that would mean that they would lose all that they valued. Their position. Their influence. The, the, their status all of that kind of stuff and Pilate for all of his faults he knew this when Jesus was on trial before, Jesus, before him Matthew chapter 27 says that it was out of envy he knew that it was out of envy that they'd handed Jesus over to him these Pharisees they are, these chief priests they were just jealous of Jesus And they saw him as a threat to their pride, to what they saw, what they valued in their position. And sadly today, there are still lots of people who will reject Jesus because his claims challenge their knowledge of God and their relationship with God. Because Jesus still claims to be the final and complete revelation from God. He still claims to be uh, that real life is found only by those who come to him. 
He still claims that we need to humbly come to us, come to him and accept that we are a sinner in need of a saviour. And he still calls us to come to him empty handed and ask for his undeserved grace. Jesus still challenges people's ideas about how, if, how they know God or their relationship with God. And so sadly many people just reject him. They, re- they refuse to accept him into their lives. But not everybody. Even although Jesus was surrounded by those who remained confused and those who rejected him, still many in the crowd put their faith in him. For some of them, this was because of what Jesus did. Did you read in verse 31? When the Christ comes, they said, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? They looked at all these miraculous signs, his healing of broken bodies, his feeding of of hungry crowds, and they accepted that these things pointed to the reality of who Jesus is. And so they put their faith in him. They saw the miracles and said, well, he is the Messiah, and I'm going to trust in him. And that's, of course, why John wrote this gospel. Remember, he recorded these miraculous signs that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Those miracles are signposts to the reality of who Jesus is, so that we can trust in him. But others, it wasn't so much what Jesus did that convinced them. It was what Jesus said. Verse 40. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this is the prophet. And others said, this is the Christ. Each day, each day of that feast of the tabernacles, it was a week-long festival, seven days. And each day, the people would go to the fountain of Gihon, which supplied water for the pool of Siloam. Here the priest would fill up a a gold jug with water, while the choir sang from Isaiah chapter 12, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Then the crowd, led by the priest carrying this water jug, would make his way to the temple, where the priest would pour the water out at the altar. And then on the seventh day of this feast, on the last and greatest day, as John calls it, when the priest poured out that water at the, at the, at the, the, the altar, the crowd would walk around, proceed around the altar seven times. All of this was to remind the people of God's provision of life giving water. Both in their present when the rains would come and water the land and the, and the crops would grow and they would be able to bring in the harvest. But also in the past, when the people were in the desert for 40 years, wandering around the desert, when God provided them water from a rock. But on that last day, on that seventh day, Jesus stood and he declared this. Verse 37, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me 
and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. In the middle of, of this, this, uh, this ceremony, this procession to celebrate God's gift of life-giving water, Jesus invited the people just to come to him. Because he alone could satisfy their ultimate thirst. He alone is that rock from which eternal life giving waters flow to us. And they flow to us not just as a once-off experience, not just like a cool drink of water and that goes in and later on we're thirsty again, but as a never-ending flow of living water within us. And John explained to us what Jesus meant by this. So that we don't miss the impact of this statement. So verse 39, it says this. By this he meant the Spirit. Whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that point in time, the Spirit had not yet been given. Since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So in the Old Testament, people did experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. But it was only for some of the people. And for some of the time. But after Jesus' glory was fully revealed at the cross, this gift of the Holy Spirit would be received by every single person who believed in Jesus. By everyone and anyone who would receive Him. And so this is the wonderful gift the wonderful offer of the gospel. It's not an invitation to get involved in religious ceremonies or rituals or experiences that need to be constantly repeated. Neither is it a command to try harder, to be good enough for God, to make ourselves acceptable to God. But rather it's the free and full and forever gift of communion with God by His Spirit because of the life-giving work of Christ on the cross. This is the offer. If anyone is thirsty, Jesus says, let him come to me and drink. And so this passage presents to us the most important question of our lives. How will we respond to Jesus? Which of those divided opinions will be ours? Will we remain confused about him because he doesn't quite fit into what we think he should be like or we think our lives should be like? Or will we reject him because he stands and challenges our knowledge of God and our relationship with him? He says things that we just don't like. Or will we come to him and receive him because of what he's accomplished and what he offers? If we do come to him, then we can be absolutely sure that our sins will be forgiven and that we'll receive that gift of eternal life with God's Holy Spirit living within us.
from now and forever. But just a little, just at the end, just a little application for those of us who have trusted in Jesus. If we've already chosen to receive him, then I think this is a real encouragement for us as we go out and share the gospel with others. Because if Jesus stirred up such divided opinions when he was on earth, then we can be encouraged when we experience something similar when we share the good news of Jesus with others. When we go into the world with the message of Jesus, we'll always experience divided opinions. So we don't need to be discouraged when people remain confused about Jesus. We know that it's difficult for them to comprehend that. And so instead, instead of being discouraged, we should be praying for God's Holy Spirit to open up their eyes. So that he, he, could, he could bring his light of truth into their lives. And we don't need to be disheartened by those who reject Jesus. Because we know that there will always be people who will reject him. Always be people on that broad road. But instead we can keep going. Because there will be some who will receive Jesus. Those who are thirsty. They will come to him. And they will drink. And they will be satisfied. With the life giving gift of the Holy Spirit.